happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Tucker Carlson released part two of his interview with Hunter Biden's business partner, Devin Archer. He divulges more details about Burisma. Two Tennessee lawmakers have two-stepped their way back into power following their ouster after a House floor anti-gun protest. Hunting and archery courses in schools find themselves in the crosshairs of a new law targeting dangerous weapons. And the Biden administration revises its analysis on the cost savings from gas stoves. The Energy Department now says consumers would save 30% less than before. The U.S. Secretary of Energy met with the Chinese regime's top energy official multiple times, then released U.S. oil reserves. The U.S. hiring pace remains steady, but much lower than last year. The jobs report for July is in today. Here to discuss is my good friend and colleague, NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, it looks like the job rate is holding steady at about 187,000 since last month. Yeah, you're right, Chris. Uh, the number of jobs added in the U.S. economy in July was 187,000. And let me just go into uh, a few facts of this report. Uh, of this report. Um, hourly earnings rose 0.4% uh, in July. And leading the job gains is healthcare and then social assistance. And... Uh, Employment and financial activities also increased. So, yeah, those are some of the basic facts. Uh, unemployment rate held, held a steady little change at 3.5%. Yeah, and we also know that in July of 2021, there were 750,000 jobs added, or more than 750,000 jobs. Um, in July of 2022, there were over 550,000 jobs added. And now we're down to... 187,000 jobs added this July. So it looks like we're trending downward over the past two years here. Yeah, there's definitely definitely been a downward trend in the number of jobs added. But the question is, are we just stabilizing at, at, at 187,000 jobs being added um, instead of, you know, a actual cooling of the labor market? Because Previously, it was running, a, uh, running quite hot. Yeah, and about that, you know, in the next few months, what are we looking at here? Do you think it's going to stabilize more or um, will there be a downward trend of jobs added? So earlier I spoke to the chief economist at Zip Recruiter, Julia Pollock, and she told me that there, there's still room for the numbers to go down um, anywhere from 100 100,000 to 150,000. And let's just take a look at that interview for a better understanding. And now here to talk to me about the jobs report is Julia Pollock, chief economist at Zip Recruiter. So Julia, tell us um, what you're seeing with this report. 187,000 jobs added, you know, a little bit lower than expected. Job growth is slowing, but it's still very, very solid. This is a respectable job gain. And uh, the other parts of the report are encouraging, too. Unemployment is very low at 3.5%. And some of the worrying signs in last month's report that suggested that maybe a slowdown in the labor market would be painful for certain groups of workers, those partially reversed themselves. So the huge increase we saw in the number of un underemployed workers working part-time for economic reasons, that uh, reversed, and also the big increase in the black unemployment rate. And I just want to point out 187,000 is still more than the flow of number of people entering the labor market, right? 
That's correct. That's more than enough to keep pace with population growth. And, uh, and that's why we're still in this very tight labor market. Um, what are some of the strengths uh, right now in the job market? And then we can talk about weaknesses later. Well, the main area of strength is healthcare. That is the sector projected to add the largest number of jobs over the coming decade due to demographic reasons, because we're getting wealthier and demanding more and better healthcare services. Uh, and also because that industry is normalizing. People who put off knee replacements and hip replacements are finally coming back to doctor's offices and, and getting those done. Uh, elsewhere, you know, I think construction has been a big surprise to many observers. Usually when interest rates go up, construction employment falls a lot. Uh, but this time, we've actually continued to add construction jobs, largely due to the enormous amount of construction happening on apartment buildings, and also the huge amount of industrial construction taking place, largely propelled by those uh, government programs, uh, investments in semiconductors and electric vehicle technology, uh, among other fields. All right, so I remember the last month uh, when we spoke, uh, you mentioned some cracks uh, in, in the labor market. Um, what are some of the, some of the weaknesses? Are, are they still uh, present? Well, interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, tech, mining, manufacturing, have been weak for months now. Uh, in tech, that sector has now lost 55,000 jobs since November, and there doesn't appear to be any sign that the tech session is ending yet. Uh, we're also seeing weakness in mining. Employment's been pretty flat in that industry. And manufacturing is also hurting. Uh, it's a very capital-intensive industry, and when interest rates are high, it's just very, very difficult for manufacturers to, uh, you know, to break even. What do you think is uh, one of the bigger contributors to uh, this uh, cooling of the labor market? Well, largely this is just a return to normal. It's sort of mean reversion. You know, the economy uh, overheated mid-2021 through mid-2022. Companies were racing to rehire, but labor force participation hadn't quite uh, recovered yet. And so uh, there was this unprecedented moment in the labor market where wages were growing very quickly and, uh, and there were way more openings than unemployed job seekers. That's now ebbed back to normal. We're seeing much more normal turnover rates. Uh, rather than 3% of workers quitting their jobs every month, it's down to 2.4%, which is much closer to the pre-pandemic level. And employers are finding it a bit easier to retain workers, a little bit easier to find new candidates as well, although it's still tough historically. All right. Thank you so much, Julie. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Good talking to you, too. The two Tennessee representatives ousted over a House floor gun control protest have been re-elected. The protests happened in the wake of the Covenant school shooting in late March. Nashville Representative Justin Jones and Memphis Representative Justin Pearson were both easily re-elected in special elections yesterday. The two men gained national attention after their ousters. They attended the White House Correspondents' Dinner, met with President Biden, and were featured on various national news programs. A third protester, State Representative Gloria Johnson, was nearly ousted as well. Johnson may be challenging Republican U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn next year. The Biden administration has quietly changed its analysis of its gas stove regulations. A revision shows much less consumer savings. The Energy Department revised the numbers to show 30% less in savings than its previous estimate. That means consumers would save just $0.09 cents per month if the rules were in place, were, rule change were in place. The Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers shared a statement with Fox News. It says the Energy Department recognizes that currently available cooking products are more efficient than it previously concluded.
But the industry group says this hasn't led the Energy Department to change its rule proposals. The group says the rules are too strict and would affect the quality of products that can be produced. It also says the small savings are not worth the loss of convenience to consumers. The Energy Department says the rules would go into effect in 2027 and save money while curbing greenhouse gas emissions. The Energy Secretary has pushed back on criticism, saying the department is required to put forward the rules due to energy efficiency laws. Did Chinese officials influence U.S. energy policy? A new report shows the head of the Energy Department held multiple conversations with the Chinese regime's top energy official. That was just days before the administration's historic release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. The administration released 50 million barrels of oil from the reserve in 2021 to counter high gas prices. More has been released since then. A portion of the oil was purchased by Chinese state-run energy companies. The White House has said it didn't, had no choice since the oil was sold to the highest bidder. The talks between U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm and senior Chinese Communist Party official Zhang Jianhua were not revealed publicly. Americans for Public Trust discovered the meeting by obtaining internal Energy Department calendars and sharing them with Fox News. The Energy Department now says the meeting was part of a combating climate change, but did not say specifically what was discussed. Republican leaders have criticized the oil releases, saying it weakened national security and helped foreign adversaries. Republicans want answers from the Biden administration on alleged Chinese malware attacks. The attacks reportedly targeted key government officials and utility companies, including those serving U.S. military installations. The lawmakers sent a letter yesterday to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and NSA Cybersecurity Director Rob Joyce. They want to know the extent of the alleged hacks, how long the Biden administration has been aware of them, and what steps are being taken to address the situation. They say the increase in CCP attacks on U.S. bases and military infrastructure are matched by their increasingly aggressive behavior in the Taiwan Strait and other international waters. The lawmakers added that CCP aggression in the cyber domain must be met with a firm, resolute, and measured response from the United States. Two Chinese spies in the U.S. were U.S. Navy are arrested. Sailors Thomas Zhao and Patrick Wei shared photos, videos, and documents about Navy ships with a Chinese intelligence officer, according to the Justice Department. Here to unpack this revelation with us is retired lieutenant from the Office of Naval Intelligence, Stephen Rogers. <music> lieutenant Stephen Rogers, thank you for joining us again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Lieutenant, what kind of information were these spies collecting for Chinese intelligence? Well, they were looking for the uh, electronic footprints of the computers on our uh, uh, warfighting ships. They were looking for uh, what ships were ported where. Uh, a lot of information that would certainly help the Chinese Communist Party in any fight against the United States Navy any place on the face of this earth. And how could it help them? Well, you know, uh, the information we have was uh, secret, top secret, classified information. So uh, it's information that's not readily public, and there could be a lot of warfighting methodologies that the CCP was looking for. Do these recent arrests tell us anything about the extent of Chinese espionage operations in the U.S. military? 
Well, it tells me the extent of uh, some failures within our own military intelligence apparatus. You know, the Navy seems to be prioritizing more on a woke agenda uh, rather than a warfighting agenda. And that hasn't slipped by the Chinese Communist Party. So they're zeroing in on our military as they have business industry, uh, educational institutions, and our government. Talk to us more about those vulnerabilities. What are we missing? Well, you know, when I was in military intelligence, we had a very robust and very strict uh, uh, rules of engagement with regard to intelligence. You're protected at all costs. Uh, you make sure your intelligence and counterintelligence uh, capabilities never fail. There was a failure here, and that's what truly has to be investigated. And do we have any sense for what that failure is in this particular situation? Not in this particular situation, but I will just say this, that somewhere along the chain of command, somebody wasn't watching. When I was in the military, you were being watched closely uh, by your superiors. There were evaluations. There were, uh, you know, they were checking up on you constantly. But I think our chain of command has to be looked at very carefully and see where that failure is in that chain. Now, what do you think we can do to defend against Chinese espionage without discriminating against Chinese Americans? Well, uh, it, 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 we have to go back to the old days where uh, there was a lot of human intelligence. That means intelligence on the ground, talking to people, getting information from people. It's all a matter of prioritizing. You're either going to prioritize your military, in this case the Navy, as a war fighting machine that will take out the Chinese Communist Party in any uh, conflict, or you're going to prioritize it uh, in another direction. We need to get back to those days where we use uh, human intelligence more so then we would be using electronic capabilities at this point. And you mentioned we're focusing on the wrong priorities. What are those wrong priorities in your mind? Well, I've talked to active duty and reservists, and they're concerned about uh, not addressing a superior officer as he, she, uh, the, the pronouns, uh, the identity uh, concerns. That has no place in the military. Uh, in the military, you're trained to fight a war and to win it. And the Chinese Communist Party has been very, very aware of what's going on. And uh, I, I believe what we have to do is turn that tide and get back to that, uh, that good Ronald Reagan philosophy about winning wars, uh, you know, strength. You have to be strong to prevent a war. Lieutenant Stephen Rogers, thank you again. Well, thank you very much. Commercial ships in the Middle East might get protection from U.S. forces. The Pentagon is reportedly considering a plan to put troops on those vessels. Many media report the proposal is to place teams of 20 soldiers or Marines on commercial vessels traveling the Strait of Hormuz or the Gulf of Oman. NTD could not verify their sources. Iran's Navy or Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps has tried to seize or harass ships on these waterways. Policymakers are reportedly looking at what authority the military would need to conduct such a mission to protect commercial ships. ships. They do caution there is a risk such a move could bring the U.S. and Iran closer to direct confrontation in the Middle East. More insight from Hunter Biden's former business partner. Tucker Carlson released the second part of his interview with Devin Archer. The two spoke about then-Vice President Biden's influence in his son's business dealings. He was aware of Hunter's business. He met with Hunter's business partners. He, I mean, you found a letter that, that illustrates that he knew me. And I he's thanking you. <laughs> he's thanking you for so, his efforts. So I think that was, yeah, I think 
The interview with Carlson comes days after Archer testified before a House committee on similar topics. Carlson also held up a letter from Biden to Archer. In it, Biden apologizes for not meeting with Archer and thanked him for working with Hunter Biden. Archer was careful with his words during the interview, but he conveys that the Biden family name and Joe Biden's political position were the main appeal for business partners. Archer was ordered by the Justice Department to show up for a jail sentence last weekend, just before he was set to give testimony to Congress. Coming up, a federal judge in Connecticut rules on the state's 2013 gun control law. A gun rights group challenged a ban on so-called assault weapons. And President Biden's restriction on asylum can stay in place, at least for now. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. What is male and what is female? An Oklahoma executive order is offering strict definitions. It directs state agencies to follow the revised usage of gender and other terms. According to the new definitions, the term female refers to a person whose biological reproductive system is designed to produce ova, and male refers to those whose biological reproductive system is designed to fertilize the ova of a female. The order also suggests separate bathrooms and locker rooms for men and women in public schools and prisons. Governor Kevin Stitt signed the executive order Tuesday, making him the first governor in the nation to take the step. Stitt says the move is to ensure the true definition of the word woman and to protect the safety, dignity, and sanctity of women across the state. The Wisconsin Supreme Court became a liberal majority court for the first time in 15 years. One of their first acts was to fire the director of state courts. He served in the position for six years. Chief Justice Annette Ziegler denounced her colleagues' act. She called their conduct a raw exercise of power that was unprecedented and dangerous. She wrote, this type of action has never occurred simply because a new justice secures a new majority whether liberal or conservative. She says she was not made aware of any issue that would merit firing. The termination was announced in a short letter informing state courts director Randy Koshnick his role would end that same day without specifying a reason. The director of state courts is responsible for the overall management of the court system. Koshnick was out of town at the time of his firing. He told local media his staff was told to box up his items. He says he is politically conservative but has not made political statements or taken political action during his time on the job. He said he might consider filing a lawsuit. A federal judge in Connecticut has ruled on the state's 2013 gun control law. A gun rights group challenged a ban on so-called assault weapons. The law was enacted shortly after the Sandy Hook shooting in 2012, where 26 were killed with an AR-15 and other weapons. The National Association for Gun Rights said the ban violated the Second Amendment right to bear arms for self-defense. The judge argued that certain assault weapons with high-capacity magazines weren't commonly used for self-defense and rejected a request to block the law. The Gun Rights Association called the ruling an outrageous slap in the face to law-abiding gun owners and the Constitution alike. The group vowed to appeal the ruling. 
The Biden administration has reportedly stripped funding for hunting and archery courses in schools. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the threat to courses many school officials see as a significant academic motivator. The Department of Education says the move to withdraw funding has its roots in a new law called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which was signed into law by President Biden in June of 2022. The law prohibits the use of education funding for providing anyone with a dangerous weapon. It was passed in the wake of the Ovalde, Texas school shooting. Several Democrats like Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy and North Carolina Republican Senator Tom Tillis sponsored the legislation. Both Tillis and Republican Texas Senator John Cornyn called the interpretation of the law botched and wrote a letter to the Department of Education stating their interpretation goes against the law's intent. They say using the law to shift critical educational and enrichment resources away from archery and hunter education classes was never its intent. Representative Mark Green is fighting the move. He introduced the Protecting Hunting Heritage and Education Act this week, saying this about the Biden administration's move. Letting Washington bureaucrats sitting in a half-empty, air-conditioned building in the swamp make arbitrary decisions about what kids in Tennessee should and should not learn is the antithesis of federalism, adding that archery and other shooting sports are valuable to our children. That's something the president of the National Archery in the Schools program, Tommy Floyd, agrees with. He says there are countless examples that the programs keep students involved in schools while contributing to other academic endeavors. The official says data shows that nearly 60% of student archers are engaged in school. He believes such school programs keep kids connected and that connected kids are much easier to reach. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. NTD reached out to the Department of Education for comment. We have not heard back yet. President Biden's restrictions on asylum can stay in place, at least for now. The White House scored an appeals court win yesterday. The Department of Homeland Security says the new rules will significantly reduce irregular migration. The Biden rule says migrants must either seek asylum in the country they are in while traveling to the U.S. or apply for asylum online. If they do not take those steps, then they'll be kicked out of the country while waiting to make an appointment using the government's app. A lower court previously called the new rule illegal and ordered its ending by next Monday. That court said the rule didn't align with intent of Congress by allowing migrants a safe haven. Without the new rule, the migrants only needed to set foot on American soil to seek asylum. Border officials are concerned over the wave of migrants rushing the border. The appeals court decision only lasts as long as the case winds its way through the court system. In an unusual move, the governor of Iowa sent over 100 National Guard troops to the U.S.-Mexico border this week. Governor Kim Reynolds says the Guardsmen will help battle illegal immigration, human trafficking, and drug smuggling. The three-week-long effort will support Operation Lone Star in Texas. It's funded using federal COVID relief money allocated to Iowa. The governor's office said states were given flexibility in how to use the money as long as government services were provided. Her office also said that Iowa's location at the intersection of the two major interstates makes it a target for human traffickers and drug cartels. COVID-carrying mice were found in an unlicensed Chinese lab in California. The facility owned by Prestige Biotech also housed samples of malaria, HIV, and more. 
Here to discuss is Antonio Graceffo, China economic analyst and author of Beyond the Belt and Road, China's Global Economic Expansion. Antonio Graceffo, thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Antonio, what did authorities find in this lab? So authorities uh, essentially raided the lab. They obtained a search warrant. They found rooms filled with um, samples of human blood. Uh, there were serums. There were lots of infectious diseases that were very scary, everything from HIV to COVID. Uh, they found about 1,000 mice, uh, white mice, uh, many of whom had been genetically altered to carry the COVID virus. And the company to which this lab belonged uh, had its business registered in um, empty offices in the U.S. As well as, as, as well as unverifiable addresses in China. What does that say about this company? Well, it's quite scary. I mean, the, the, the company is quite obviously a Chinese company. They have the address in China. All of the principals that have been named are Chinese. And so the question is, how is a Chinese company operating this type of biolab in the United States with these very dangerous diseases? And do we have any sense for how that is? What, like, how, how is that? Well, our system is very free. You know, anyone's allowed to apply for a business license. The company was legally registered, uh, I believe, in Nevada. They, they, they did not have an, um, a license to operate in California. So that's a violation. But they are legally licensed to operate in the United States, and they're legally licensed to do this type of work. Now, the FBI has warned that biolabs and biological weapons are one of the ways that China poses a threat to the U.S. What does the discovery of this lab mean in light of all that? Well, it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's very curious. It's very suspicious that they're only working with very um, dangerous diseases, transmittable diseases, and that they had these mice that were genetically altered. One of the fears with biological weapons is that you would have a vector. A vector means you would have an animal, such as a mouse or a mosquito, that you would infect with the disease, and then it would go out and spread that to, you know, to humans. And, you know, some of these other Chinese bio companies are actually listed on the U.S. stock exchange despite the known threat. What do you make of that? Yeah, that's also very upsetting. Um, uh, China bought a number of uh, genomics companies in the United States, uh, the companies that do the ancestry type uh, research for you, uh, some fertility labs, blood labs, and they're basically collecting uh, DNA samples from Americans and feeding this into a massive uh, database. And what could they do with that database? Well, until recently, the, most, the biggest concern was about uh, privacy and then also that China has this database where they're doing um, racial type uh, profile profiling where they can identify even if you were wearing a mask and a hood and, you know, covered in a shawl and you walk through a train station, they could guess what your race was or, or your nationality, what country you're from. That was the original fear. The new fear is, is it possible that they would be getting DNA data and then figuring out how to genetically uh, modify diseases to affect Americans, for example, more than some other race? And do we have any proof that they're actually doing that? Well, we absolutely have proof that this massive database uh, exists and that the um, uh, they're combining, for example, through through uh, TikTok, they're gathering, uh, you know, video and, and, and voice recordings of Americans, feeding that into the AI system. We know that they have the, the, the uh, genetics database. We absolutely know that that part is, is happening. We do know that this is also a part of their military program. 
Now, we don't, I don't know that we know specifically that they're able to tailor uh, diseases to attack Americans. Um, uh, so far, I think that that's proven difficult. All right. Antonio Graceffo, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Still to come, Meta's Twitter rival Threads is losing appeal. The app's daily users are down more than 80%, hitting the lowest since its launch. And a study shows electric cars are more expensive to charge than gas vehicles are to fuel in all but one case. We'll have the details soon when we return. Thanks for staying with us. Some Wells Fargo customers are taking to social media to complain that their direct deposits have disappeared from their bank accounts. A company spokesperson says the bank is aware of a technical issue causing the problem. Wells Fargo is working to resolve it, but it's unclear when that will happen. The extent of the issue is also unclear, but people have been posting about it for about two days. This problem follows another in March in which Wells Fargo customers reported similar issues. It seems people are no longer flocking to use threads, Meta's Twitter rival. New data from market research firms show the company is struggling to keep users. The data says threads' daily active user count is down 82% from launch as of the beginning of this week. The report says just 8 million users access the app each day. That is the lowest it has been since the day after it was released. At that time, daily active users peaked at over 40 million. It seems now people are barely even opening the app, spending only a little over two minutes on it when they do. And Thread's daily active user count is still falling at a rate of roughly 1% per day. Meta is reportedly looking at adding retention-driving hooks to keep users engaged. Americans are traveling abroad this summer, and they don't seem to mind that it's putting a dent in their pockets. The average cost of a, for a flight to Europe is $1,200, and according to a travel booking app, that's the highest price in the last six years. The hefty price tag isn't stopping Americans from flocking to their favorite European destinations, London, Paris, Rome, and Dublin, as well as countries across the Pacific in Asia. The demand for international travel has been so high that the three major U.S. international airlines, American, Delta, and United, have all seen a surge. And they're adding additional service to meet the need. And speaking of air travel, Frontier Airlines is making changes that could hurt latecomers. In a tweet, the company announced all check-in and baggage drop counters will close 60 minutes before the flight's departure time. Changes are scheduled to take effect August 16th. Currently, passengers have until 45 minutes before the flight. A spokesperson said the change is, un is intended to make the check-in process more uniform and allow time for bags to get to the airplanes. Are electric vehicles really a better deal than gas-powered models? A study finds most electric cars, crossovers, and trucks cost more to charge than their gas-powered counterparts. A handful of states are set to limit gas vehicles in the coming years. Many advocates of electric vehicles say they're less expensive to drive, as an argument in favoring ditching traditional vehicles. But an Anderson Economic Group study has hit the brakes on that argument. 
The study shows that the vast majority of gasoline-powered vehicles cost less to fuel than their electric counterparts due to charge. The study compared vehicles sold in the U.S. over a 100-mile distance. The only category of vehicle where going electric can be cheaper is luxury, but only if the vehicle is charged at home. The findings build on a January 2023 study by the same group, which found that electric vehicles were more expensive for the first time in 18 months. It attributes the trend to rising energy costs and falling gasoline prices. Amazon isn't horsing around with its new delivery method in Arizona. The online retailer is using mules to help deliver packages to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. The deliveries are for Phantom Ranch employees who live and work there. The ranch area is miles deep into the canyon and is only accessible by foot trail or the Colorado River. Amazon says the packages will go out four days a week before sunrise to avoid the heat. Mules have long been used to provide rides in and out of the canyon as well as to deliver supplies for those in Phantom Ranch. After the break, booksellers in Paris will be required to remove their riverside stalls during the 2024 Olympic Games. Authorities say it's a security risk, but not everyone agrees. And an ice sculptor in New York City races against the clock to finish his works. His studio in Queens gives him a slight reprieve from the heat. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. A car plunged into a riverbank after the driver failed to notice the gigantic hole on a collapsed bridge. Dashcam footage captured the terrifying moment in a northern Chinese province today. Passersby tried to rescue those trapped in the vehicle and found another car fallen into the fissure. The driver of the white car was pulled to safety. No casualties have been reported. This is the latest region hit by Super Typhoon Daksuri. It made landfall in southern China a week earlier, swamping the capital, Beijing, and nearby cities. Flooding has caused deaths, displaced thousands, and put China's disaster response system to the test. Paris welcomed teen rowing teams on Thursday. The championship event gives officials a chance to carry out technical tests before next year's Olympic Games. We have more on the preparations for 2024. Inclement weather, strong winds, and occasional showers. That's what Thursday's races looked like for under 19 rowing teams from around the world. Crews took part in the heats in order to qualify for the final stages on Sunday. Paris 2024 rowing sports manager Pascal Bouton was paying close attention. She's looking for any issues during the races that could arise during the games. What is important is to see if the main devices are functioning well for the Olympic Games. We are, for instance, testing the timing and the scoring, two essential elements for us, looking at the cabling issues, whether it works, and what we can improve for the Paris 2024 Games on the side. The Nautical Stadium is a 1.2-mile stretch of water situated 30 minutes east of Paris. The waterway will welcome rowing and canoeing events during next year's Olympics. 
The games are set to kick off on July 26, 2024. We have also looked at the weather forecast. As you can see, it's an important element. So we'll have two weather forecasts during the competition, which will allow us to monitor how the competition unfolds. They will be on site, throughout and in contact with world rowing to make decisions about delaying or postponing races. The site for 2024 Olympic rowing will be able to welcome up to 24,000 spectators. Riverside booksellers in Paris say the Olympics are erasing a fixture of the French capital. Local authorities say they'll be required to remove their stalls during the 2024 Games. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. The historic stalls that line the River Seine in Paris account for nearly 60% of booksellers in the city. But city authorities say they'll have to be dismantled during the Olympic Games in 2024. We are a major symbol of Paris. Tourists come to see us as they do for the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre or Notre Dame. We are erasing and rejecting this major symbol that has been present for 450 years in Paris. We're not going to show it. Paris police have told the booksellers that their stalls are too close to the game's opening ceremony. Authorities say the proximity is a security risk. Saying the bookstalls are being removed for security reasons, well, we do so many things and say they're for security reasons, some of which are sometimes a bit unfounded in my opinion. I think it's regrettable. Albert Abid has been a bookseller for 10 years. He's worried that his 100-year-old stall could get damaged in the process. Look at the condition of this container. This container is at least around 100 years old. If it's moved, this container would not survive that operation, nor will the morale of the booksellers. The move could put a dent in booksellers' profits. Reinstalling the containers could take a long time. I don't understand. This decision will cost a lot both in terms of bills for the city or the prefecture, but it will also cost a lot for us because there is no compensation from the city for the entire period when we will not be able to work. There's no compensation. The Paris authorities have offered to pay for the move and reinstallation of the stalls and any repair work in case of damages. Organizers expect at least 600,000 people to attend the Summer Olympics opening ceremony. The athletes and delegations will sail along the river to kick off the games. As the record-breaking heat continues in New York City, one artist is staying cool. His ice sculpting studio under an elevated subway train in Queens gives him a slight reprieve. Here are the details. Shintaro Okamoto runs an NYC-based artist collective. The group produces installations and performances out of crystal clear ice. This is the collective's 20th anniversary. This summer's been very, very busy. People have been very, very receptive, and you know, when it's hot outside, they want to celebrate with ice. Okamoto opened the studio in 2003 with his father, Takeo. He was a pioneer who introduced Japanese ice sculpting to an American audience. Takeo was a chef in Japan where he learned to carve ice for certain dishes. My father was really, uh, always enjoyed visiting me here in New York and was ready to kind of do something different outside of Alaska. Um, and uh, we always had a great working relationship and start talking about uh, starting an ice studio here. And Takeo moved to Alaska in the early 80s to become a co-owner and sushi chef of a Japanese restaurant. There he returned to his passion and became renowned for his life-size ice sculptures. My followers had a really great, I think, philosophy in life where you just do the best 
you can possibly do that's given to you in front of you and everything else follows. Okamoto decided to follow in his father's footsteps. He thinks ice is an overlooked artistic medium. Here we are carving with ice that, that's ephemeral, that doesn't last, it goes away. And I often talk to my clients about the beauty of ice is that it's not what, what it is, but what, what, what it continues to become. There's that constant changing, the transformative element of it, and what's left is the memory of it. Okamoto is always racing against the clock. He was recently able to finish a dragon sculpture in about 40 minutes. The piece sold for almost $1,000 for a private event. Coming up, how would you like to jump from a skyscraper? World Cup fans in New Zealand are plunging down from the country's tallest building. More in a moment here on NTD News Today. Thanks for staying with us. The Women's World Cup is in full swing, and revelers in New Zealand are finding new thrills off the soccer pitch. That is, jumping from the country's tallest building. That was it was amazing. It was as fun as I could ever imagine. It was that that first that lean is scary, <laughs> but once you go, there's there's nothing to it. It was awesome. We have the the World Cup this year happening in New Zealand, which uh, which pumped up our numbers quite significantly, especially um, from luck of the draw. We actually got the United States staying in New Zealand, and uh, they're great guests that uh, that we really love having them over. And uh, we have been fully booked for the last couple of weeks, and we're looking quite busy for the next two as well. The tower was completed in 1997. A restaurant observation deck and a platform for jumpers all sit near the top. Among the sheep and local bird life, a tiny Scottish island is looking to the stars, with plans to launch its own space rockets. Saxaford's spaceport is nearing completion on the island of Unst, the most northernly inhabited place in all the British Isles. The operation is headed by husband and wife Frank and Debbie Strong. It's built on the site of a former Royal Air Force radar station. The islanders are all very much looking forward to seeing the first launch here. The young people are starting to come back to the island. The schools are just absolutely fascinated by all of this. The Strongs and Saxaford Port are now just waiting to secure a license for launches. The first launch is planned for the end of this year. On this episode of Strong Mind and Body, we find out which Ayurvedic herbs could work best for you. Here's Gina Marie. Ayurveda is the ancient Indian science of healing. It is based on three doshas. Doshas are forces of nature. 
they make up your unique mental and physical constitution. Each of the doshas is present in every individual. One or a combination of two doshas is prominent in each person. It depends on your personality, lifestyle and other influencing factors. The balancing of doshas is essential. This is because it drives your thinking and behavior. Herbs can help to treat the imbalance in your doshas. Here are some of the best herbs to consider. Let's look at the first dosha, vata. Vata dosha governs the movement in the body and mind. It regulates the breathing, blood flow, pulsation of the heart and elimination of waste. People with a predominant vata dosha are generally energetic and creative, but an imbalance in vata can cause fear, isolation, anxiety and exhaustion. It decreases proper communication throughout the body. It also leads to abnormal movements within the body. To balance your vata, here are some of the best herbs that you can include in your routine. Lemon balm, ginger root and chamomile. Next, let's look at the pitta dosha. Pitta dosha oversees the digestion and transformation in the body. It regulates the energy transformation within the body. The energy production and metabolism are balanced with the right amount of pitta, and excess can cause health-related issues. Pitta governs the crucial digestive functions in the body, from nutrition to metabolism. The digestion of foods, emotions and experiences are all intimately connected to pitta. An excess or imbalance of pitta can result in bad feelings. This includes anger, jealousy and frustration. When your pitta is imbalanced, it affects the organs in your body. It can cause inflammation. Here are some herbs that can help balance pitta. Mint, rose petals and lemongrass. And finally, let's look at the last dosha, kapha. The kapha dosha governs the structure, lubrication and cohesiveness in the body. A stable kapha controls the joints in the body, weight, growth and formation. Kapha moisturizes the body. It maintains hydration throughout the bones and protects the tissues. An imbalance of kapha can lead to congestion in organs throughout the body. It stagnates the tissues and triggers emotions of greed, possessiveness and stubbornness. Here are a few herbs that can help you to balance your Cappadocia. Sage, holy basil and thyme. The herbs we've talked about can help to balance the doshas that are dominant or imbalanced in your body. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.